A couple quick things to mention, kind of on the backdrop of what Jim already said, so I won't mention all of these, but this is really a busy week. Uh, Right after we're done here today, there's going to be a group of guys that come in here, Tim and the Glory Boys. They're setting up for a wonderful time of fun and fellowship tonight. All right, this isn't going to be the deepest theological session we've ever had at Crosspoint Community Church tonight, but it will be a time of fun and fellowship. Uh, If you enjoy a a certain mix of country and bluegrass and twang and all of the above, be here 7 o'clock tonight. Um, I would encourage you, if you do have sensitive ears, you might want to bring uh, some ear protection because this place gets loud. It's fun to see the kids going. It's going to be a fun time of fellowship tonight. So if that's your type of thing here tonight at 7, I know there's going to be some other churches in the area. They're going to have some of their congregation here as well. It will be a great time of fun and fellowship tonight with Tim and the Glory Boys. Then this week, Shasta Bible College is hosting their Alpha and Omega Conference. We're going to gather in this very room at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night. Uh, with a fellow by the name of Tom Ice, and he's going to share with us some thoughts on end-time prophecies. So if you want a blessing, come Wednesday nights. Our adult groups will all be here uh, on Wednesday at 6. We still have our, our dinner together at 5.15, but then meet in here at 6. No, sorry, no dinner. Man, I got y'all excited. No dinner Sunday, so you have to come hungry. Sorry. I should have listened to announcements, Jim. Yeah. Then one other thing, next Saturday evening here again, uh, there's, there's a group of fellows that are very creative. Uh, they put together a series, evolution creation series called Jonathan Park. It's like an adventure series, recordings, <clears throat> similar to what you might find in Adventures in Odyssey. Uh, from Focus on the Family. These guys put together this really cool deal. Well, they go around to different churches and they present something for families. It is a really neat creation experience. If you want to be involved in that, come Saturday evening here and that will be a fun time of fellowship again, time for our young ones and the entire family. All right, my friends, now is the time where we enter into the scriptures to study. So I'm going to invite all of you to take your Bibles, that precious book on your laps, and would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Back in this Mount Everest of chapters in the scriptures, one that we've already enjoyed going through the first 17 chapters, Verses of this chapter, now we are headed into 18 to 39. We will study that in three segments. Um, If you're new with us, we are on a journey through the book of Romans. I have so loved this journey. The dark times of this journey, the bright times of this journey. If you remember, and I'll just briefly kind of walk through where we've been. We try to do this every week, so it kind of sets the 30,000-foot view, the context of where we've been. If you go through back to Romans 1, you're going to see that the theme of this book truly is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. We find that in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul proclaims, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Now the rest of the book exposes and and sort of just defines what this gospel is. Starting with the second word on that equation right under the 
gospel, the first word there, condemnation. Romans 1 through 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Leading us to the wonderful truths of Romans 4 through 6 and justification. A declaration of righteousness that you nor I could ever earn. This is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Leading us into the now what of salvation, which when you look through the scriptures and think through theology, would be considered sanctification. This is that growth, that process of growth in the life of every true believer. This growth includes both a battle against the flesh and an enjoyment of day-in, day-out meditation on who God is. Rejoicing in who our God is and what He has done to save our souls. Well, now we are into another wonderful discussion. Find this at the end of Romans chapter 8, and we will start today talking on the last word in this equation, glorification. God's righteousness revealed to us through glorification. Have you found yourself? If you, if you just be brutally honest, have you found yourself the last two years just crying out something? God Almighty, would you just fix this? God, would you step in and fix this? The health crisis the financial uncertainty. I mean, how many of you, your jaw hit the cement this week when you filled up your car with gas? <laughs> Even the smallest of vehicles that you can drive around, you're putting like 80 or $90 worth of fuel in this vehicle. You just shake your head thinking, what is going on? The politics, the relational struggles, and my friends, it's not just you or it's me. Not that I care in a massive way about uh, entertainment, but some of you might have seen the headlines with Will Smith just taking a nice little swipe at his friend on public television the other night at the Oscars. This isn't just you or it's me. We're going to see this today, that there's a world around us that is yelling out, fix this. This needs to be fixed. The tension abounds. Almost everyone I interact with, and I'm serious about this, almost everyone I interact with, both in this church and in this community, over the last two years has lost a loved one. Or two, or three, or more. They have buried those who are precious to their family. Funerals. I'm, I'm telling you, the, the, the discussion about death isn't abnormal. It has turned into the norm in our society. Have you found yourself just crying out in some way, Lord, would you just fix this? God Almighty, would you fix this mess? 
Well, if that is you in any stretch of the imagination, my friend, Romans 8, 17 through 30, all the way actually to 39 is for you. We're going to find hope, my friend. We're going to find encouragement. As you dig through this text, you're going to find that God Almighty, through His Son Jesus Christ, has not left you without comfort in this broken world. We're going to be reminded of that. We're going to be reminded of this wonderful thought that we truly can have present hope in a future promise. That is Romans 8. We find hope of this last word, glorification. Would you look with me at the text this morning? I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit. Romans chapter 8. What about this glorification? And we'll kind of take a little bit more time today to define what this is, this glorification. Well, if you look at the end of the section we were in last time, it sets up for this next discussion. Verse 17. Sorry, it's not on the back of your handout, so you'll just have to listen. But it is in your Bibles. (laughs) So you can look there. Verse 17. Here's what sets up the next discussion. The segue into glorification. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided, and here it is. Here's the setup. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. If you look with me at verse 18, we start into this discussion Paul enters through the Holy Spirit into this discussion with these words. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. (laughs) I'm telling you right now, this week reading through that, I just wanted to get out of my chair and start running laps around the room in praise to Jesus. The pain that grips our hearts doesn't even compare to the glory that will be revealed to us. This glorification discussion is all the way through this text, but if you jump down to verse 21, Paul says this through the Spirit, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Jump down with you would please to verse 28. I'll get to verse 30. But this is all a thought. You know this verse probably because you've quoted it about 300 times. If not this month, the last two years. And we know that all things work together for good. Here it is. This is the text. You've been waiting for this one. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, for those who He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the first fruit among many brothers. And then verse 30, and those He predestined, He called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also what? glorified. I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait for 28 to 30 uh, for next week. We're stopping this morning at 27. But that's what's coming. My friends, you see this theme unfolded through this section of Scripture that glorification is coming. And 
This morning, we're going to wrap our minds around this key truth. Here it is. As they patiently persevere through the struggles of this life, all true believers should find present hope in the promise of of future glorification. So what about this word glorification? What are we talking about? This Christianese type words along with these other ones. What what are we talking about here? Glorification. Well, you can see I put kind of more of a technical uh, definition on the back of your handout. And you can kind of go through that this week if you'd like. I'll just read it. As you think about this glorification, it is the full transformation of every adopted child of God whose entire being experiences the promises of a resurrected body. And I'm going to interject this, of Christ's resurrected body. Complete release from sin and full participation in God's eternal glory. How many of you are ready for that? It makes sense why in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This glorification. In a practical description of what this glorification is, here it is. All true believers will one day be fully, fully, fully changed. We're talking about not just the transformation that has already gone on in your heart through the Spirit, the promise of the new covenant, that He will give you a new heart. But we're also talking about that ugly, deceitful, sinful flesh that hangs on to you every single day. My friends, we will be fully changed, inward and outward, body and soul. All true believers will say goodbye to sin, to sickness, to pain, and to death. This week in um, our elder meetings, Revelation 21 was read. Well, if you can get through Revelation 21 without weeping, there's a problem. (laughs) To see what God has set up, the new heavens and the new earth, no pain. All true believers, my friend, will be given a new glorified body. Not just a select few. All! All who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. All who have been declared righteous. All, every one of us will experience this glorification. You'll be given a new glorified body that is fit to enjoy the glory and presence of Almighty God. Holy God. Why is this so so important? Because you'll remember back in Romans chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of something. What? The glory of God. Now, through Jesus Christ, we have the promise that we will all participate eternally in this glory. You, my friend, are scheduled for a massive makeover. Those pains, my friend, you know, those wrinkles, those saggy baggies, that eyesight, fixed, migraines, back pains, gone. I'm surprised there weren't like 40 hallelujahs right here, because I know. (laughs) Anxieties, fears. 
gone. Death, no more. So this week, just thinking through this wonderful concept of glorification, we're, we're so distracted with the here and now, aren't we? We get stuck in this bubble, and we forget that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You know that song. You sang it when you are younger. But thinking of this glory that will be revealed to the children of God, the adopted children of God, and in my mind, I'm like, when? <laughs> when will this take place? And this is a wonderful discussion because it's very clearly articulated in different texts of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 5, Philippians 1, 1 Thessalonians 4. It's not a mystery through the Scriptures of when this glorification is going to happen. The short answer, this will all happen at the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on this earth. At this point, right now, in God's redemptive story, if a believer dies, and we know there are several in our congregation who this last year have passed from this life into the next, what happens? Well, his soul passes immediately into the presence of God. His soul does. He can truly be considered with Jesus. She our brothers and sisters in Christ who this last year have passed into the next life, they are right now with Jesus. However, there's, there's something that's going to happen yet in the future. It's indicated in Scripture very clearly that when Christ returns to claim His church, all believers will bodily experience the resurrection that Jesus experienced. That's 1 Corinthians 15. In my mind, I run back to the beginning of our stories where God Almighty spoke things into existence and, and then you see, taken from the rib of man and the creation of the woman, it is not beyond what God Almighty can do because that's the questions we have, right? As a little critter, we're like, how in the world is that going to work? People that died, at, you, you know these questions. Well, people are thrown overboard at sea, eaten by the sharks, all over. What about the people in the ground whose bodies decayed? I'm going to tell you, this will not be the first time in human history that God brought the body back together and created new life. He brings new life to dead bones. Christ returns to claim His church and every single one of us who is in Christ, who have been brought into relationship with Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, will experience this bodily resurrection. And these glorified bodies we will enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. So, if you have come to Christ and saving faith, here's the question. This also will be discussed on the back of your handout, for my wife's sake, because she's always like, why don't you get into the front quicker? Sorry, Hannah. This is, pre, this is setting up for the next three weeks, so just understand that. Here's a good question for you. Are you saved? <laughs> okay, so right away, you're like, well, you told us and 
Romans chapter 5 and justification, yes, I am declared righteous, so yes, I'm saved. But then you're like, well, this week though, ugh, I struggled. That addiction, I told myself I wasn't going to yell at my kids or kick the dog. Fly off the handle. I struggled. And then you wake, woke up this morning and you're like, no, that back's not going to work. So the question very practically is, are you saved? Well, technically, as you go through the Bible, the answer is threefold. Yes, I'm saved. Why? Because I've been declared righteous. So the overwhelming answer, and we've already talked of this, is yes, indeed, I am saved. I have been declared righteous in the presence of God. But then a, a, a more adequate answer in the New Testament is most of the time. <laughs> what do I mean? Because of sanctification. The believer will say no to sin and yes to growing in Christ. Most of the time. <laughs> so are you saved? Yes, I'm saved most of the time. But then there's this really biblical answer that says not yet. <laughs> So those hot dogs in theology, when you ask them, are you saved, they're going to look at you and say, not yet. What do they mean? We have not yet been saved from the entire presence of sin. My friends, that is still future. So are you saved? Yes, indeed, I'm saved sometimes or most of the time, but not fully. Not fully yet. Okay, we've talked about this equation. I just want to mention this again. When you think about are you saved, here is a very biblical answer. All true believers are what? Positionally. And so I'm going to stand on this side of the stage to talk about this positional sense. You, when you come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, God Almighty doesn't see you the same. You have been clothed with the robes of Christ's righteousness. So positionally, you have been declared righteous. This is justification. So, all true believers are positionally saved from the penalty of sin. We've talked of this, but then there's something happening in this middle ground. Pastor Matt in the counseling situation had a wonderful in-between conference. This is the in-between. This is called sanctification. This is the growth process. Where every day you're terrorized with your flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they will not leave you alone. And when you think about salvation and sanctification, it is a daily battle with sin, and you are progressively being saved from what? The power of sin in your life. Where you're no longer a slave to this sin, as Paul has already told us in Romans 6, and 5, 6, 7, all the way through. You're not a slave to this. But then the rest of the equation is this glorification thing. This is where we're at. Where, sure, through justification you've been saved from the penalty of sin. And in sanctification, you're being saved from the power of sin. In the future, brothers and sisters in Christ, we will be fully saved from the even presence of sin. Why? Because we will be with Him. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. He cannot interact with sin. So we will be saved from the presence of sin. Does that make sense? So I want us to take some time this morning to talk more about this present hope and future glorification. 
that we will be permanently saved from the presence of sin. When we talk of this glorification's hope, so now we're here in the front. Glorification's hope, what is this? It is this, very simply, when we talk of this, it is the fact that in the future, God will provide full bodily redemption for every one of his adopted children. Every one of us. This redemption is clearly in the text. I'm gonna, I just want to unfold this in, starting in verse 18. Would you look with me at verse 18? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us or to us. I want us to jump over to verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. As we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. If you want to think of this in, in terms of uh, past, present, future, we're talking about the full expression of adoption. When the inheritance is truly fully known and received. The adoption. We, positionally, we've been adopted, but to fully know the adoption, we must receive the inheritance. In a very tangible way, we wait eagerly for the full expression of adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And if you want to think of it in terms of the context here, the full redemption of our bodies. Verse 24 we very clearly see that Paul is promoting a theme, and it is the theme of hope. For in this we hope. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes what he sees. For what he sees. All right, when we talk of hope, we've already talked about this several times, even over the last two years. Almost every single funeral that I will participate in, I will try to mention and preach, proclaim this hope. When we think of this hope in the scriptures, it is not wishful thinking. We have to remind ourselves this over and over again. We've already talked about this in Romans 5. But this hope is not wishful thinking. It is a confident expectation. This will happen. So in our context of life, when we talk about hope, we're talking about, I wish this happens. I really am hopeful that this will happen. That is not the way it's talked about in the Scriptures. It is a confident expectation. How we talk of hope is, you know, I hope I can sleep tonight <laughs> through the night. Wishful, expect, uh, you know, wishful thinking, right? But tag to that, you say, I hope I can sleep tonight because I know, I hope in the morning the sun will come up. That is a confident expectation that the sun will be shining when you get up in the morning. Why? Because it's happened every single day of creation. There's a wishful thinking, I hope I can sleep, and that's different than I hope the sun comes up in the morning, because it will. When we look at scriptures, there's a hope that is tagged to the nature of God. It is a confident expectation that what he says he will do. Wishful thinking is that I hope this is not a long sermon. Confident expectation is that dude will shut up at some point. <laughs> He'll run out of steam. <laughs> There's a difference between wishful thinking and confident expectation. And when we go to these texts of scriptures, we have to realize that 
The hope of Scripture is tagged to who God is. That's why you got to come back next week and the week after. You're going to see all of this hope exposed, not in who you are, but who God is. Romans 8, our hope is that our bodies will be changed to share in God's eternal glory. If you want a supplemental passage, I didn't include it this week uh, on your handout, but here it is. Write down Philippians 3, 20 and 21, because you see this exposed with, with Paul's prayer in his, his proclamation through Philippians. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, a wonderful uh, text to go to in helping to explain this. Paul says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You're going to be changed. If you are in Christ, my friend, you will be changed. Now, as we go through this text, and you see Paul develop this argument in uh, verses 18 through 27, he really starts talking about the why. Why do we even discuss this? And I think that's where we're going to go right here next. Why is this glorification's hope even essential for us to consider? This isn't a no-brainer, but let's just read through what Paul says in the text. Here is the first main why that Paul presents to us of why we need to think about this glorification's hope. Here it is, because of the bondage of the whole creation. What an interesting word. The entire creation is currently in bondage. You say, to what? It is in bondage to the corruption that came from Adam's sin. So let us look at how this is said in this text. If you look with me at verse 19, he doesn't hide it. Verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Time out. Wrap your mind around that. It is not just the believer. It is the creation around us that is saying, Oh God Almighty, would you fix this? Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The bondage is to Adam's corruption. And we can continue on in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. What a descriptor. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And all the moms in this room say, Amen. This pain you're waiting for, this child to come. My friends, these pains are what the creation experiences. Oh God, would you just set this right? Paul has just argued that the entire created order, and I think there can be made a point because of the distinctions in verses 22 and 23, that it's the entire created order with, with the exception of rebellious human beings. 
But the entire created order is crying out for glorification's hope. Why? Because the entire created orders, we're talking about flora and fauna, we're talking about animals and plant life, vegetation, is in bondage to sin's corruption. The corruption that comes from Adam. Think about this. Not a single plant or animal chose the corruption of Adam's sin. But every single plant and animal is subject to Adam's corruption. Death. And it is as if they are crying out for a return to something. We had a discussion last night in our family time. A brief discussion. What is the creation crying out for? A return to something. A return to what? Eden! The beginning of your Bibles. But a better than Eden. An Eden that's been completely fixed by Jesus. If you want to look at prior to what this was like, this bondage, go and read the first two chapters of your Bible. And you see God's created order flourishing the way God had originally intended it to be. If you doubt any of this, just think, my friends, about the natural disasters, the droughts, the sicknesses, animal survival mode of the last 6,000 years. I mean, I mean that, that's not the garden. Sure, even in this brokenness, and this is where you find the graciousness of God, even in Acts chapter 17, all what Paul says, uh, you, you see the expressions of God's common grace, even through this corruption. The mountains, the sunrise, the heavens above. But my friend, think about how wonderful this will be when God sets this all right. Reason one, Paul shares for this hope, we need this hope, is that the, there's groaning happening. The creation around us, but, and I think I actually switched these around. You see, I've already shown you up here. Not only the bondage of the whole creation, but now the inward groaning of the children of God. You, my friend, me, whether we'll admit it or not, are groaning for Christ to return. It's in us. And there's a theology behind this, but even to what is said in the book of John about the purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is to push us to whom? Jesus. We're groaning for the return of Jesus. Oh Lord, so quickly come. How do we find this? Well, if you just look at verse 23, the inward groaning of the children of God is, is clearly seen. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You're a new person because of the Spirit. You groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of Son, the redemption of our bodies. My friends, why do believers groan and that word groan is a word like sigh. It's an inward agony. Have you felt that maybe in this week? Even this week, you're listening and processing information, and you just find yourself going, huh. I've done that on, a, on occasion where I've been deep in thought. My mind is always going. And I'll be work, doing some work or something like that or driving, and I'll just inadvertently just be like, Whew. And someone sitting in the car with me is like, 
what was that all about? <laughs> no, I'm not angry at that driver. <laughs> I'm just groaning. You know what it's like. The suffering and the pain of the present life we live in. I mean, very clearly we know Paul's referring to suffering because he's mentioned it twice in verses 17 and 18. He uses two different Greek words to describe the suffering we're going through right now. I think to prove that it's more than just a light little tiny bit of suffering. No, it is, it is a big deal. We go through this. And even as you go back to Philippians, you see that God has ordained this for our growth in this time. I truly believe the groaning comes in my heart and in our hearts from the discomfort we feel knowing that this is not the way God created this world to be. I remember after 9-11, sitting on an airplane with a guy. He was an airline pilot, and he was just kind of hitching a ride back to his, his main place where he was, and young guy, and we started talking, and he was talking about, how can a good God do this? You know you've had that question. And I grieved. I said, dude, the world around us has turned the whole equation on its head. It shouldn't be... How could God allow a day where this happened? It should be, how come God doesn't allow this to happen every day? Because of the rebellion around us, we groan. Because this is not the way this creation was originally created. We want it to return to how God created this. We want our, our inward being groans for, God, please put this back. I think it also, this inward groaning comes because we realize that God himself is being blamed for what man is responsible for in the scriptures. There's a rebellion. A lot more to that discussion, but very practically, brothers and sisters in Christ, sure we possess the peace and the joy of the Spirit. That's what gets us through it. But why is peace and joy necessary in the life of a believer? Here's why. Because that inward groaning is present. You need this. God, please fix this. And so every day of our lives, we walk in the Spirit. We walk in step with the Spirit as these groanings abound. Um, if you doubt this in any way, I dare you to turn on the news or read the headlines for five minutes and just sense your reaction. What comes into your inner feelings when you hear of wars? Atrocities, sicknesses, famine, death, political deception and manipulation, racial injustice, absolute gender confusion. I find myself groaning for the day when God will set all this right. I find myself clinging to something. I'm clinging to glorification's hope. He will get the final word. Now, one of the reasons I love this text is because Paul further delineates our response. Not just the why, but the how we should process this. And I want to close out our time together, next couple minutes, with how. How should you and I process this? Well, let's just go to the text. Two main points to be made here, verses 23 and 25. Here's how we should process this. We eagerly wait. Just think about those two words coming together. 
It's actually one Greek word. Eagerly wait. Anticipate. You can't wait for this to happen. But then as you get to verse 25, you see you eagerly wait with something. It's patience, and that word patience actually, probably the weight of that would be more on perseverance or endurance, not just a casual patience, but a daily aggressive endurance, a perseverance. Let's just see that in the text. Verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We wait eagerly. We keenly anticipate. I'm like that hunter at first light on opening day. <laughs> the sun comes up and you're like, it, game is on. You're waiting for any movement. Like that teenager that put out applications and has the phone ready for that call because I need to make some money. Eagerly waiting. Like that couple that has been waiting and saving money up for that down payment and they put that offer on this house and there's a 50-50 chance they might get this and they are waiting for that phone call from the realtor. They're waiting. I mean, it doesn't matter what discussion you're in. When that phone rings... Boom, I'm on it. They're eagerly waiting. My friends, that is you and me waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I cannot wait for this time. And Paul says in verse 25, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, with perseverance, with steadfastness, with fortitude, with endurance. What's the point, my friends? Yes, we eagerly wait, anticipate, but we do it with endurance. We're not just sitting on our backside on the couch just saying, like, God, just fix this all. I mean, if you want some arguments against that, go to the books of First and Second Thessalonians, where Paul says, the Lord is coming, but get off your backside and go work. <laughs> do the job. Um... There's another part of the how we are to do this here, and I love it because this is very consistent with all of Romans chapter 8. And we'll finish with this. How are we to do this glorification's hope? How are we to process this glorification's hope? Number one, we just saw we eagerly wait with perseverance. But number two, we depend on the help of the Holy Spirit of God. The Comforter promised prior to Jesus going to the cross. We've already talked of this. Where Jesus says, I will not leave you helpless. Paul clearly explains this in this passage. Would you look with me at verse 26? Likewise, the Spirit helps. That word help means to come to your aid. He helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You ever been that way? You're on your knees. Your heart is breaking and you can't say a word. And you're just like, yeah. God, I need you. I submit to your plan and purpose for my life, but I don't know how to pray. Has that ever been you? My friend, guess who translates that before Almighty God? It's the helper within we do not, Paul says this, for we do not know what to praise we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep 
four words, just that was like was mentioned in our uh, song time. <laughs> Who's standing in your place? And he who searches the heart, so we're talking about God the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, God the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Oh, this is so rich. Why? Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all working together on your behalf as you persevere through this broken world. My friend, you are not alone. One step at a time, one day at a time, persevering with hope and joy and peace, knowing that the Trinity has you. My friend, through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, your behalf is being considered right now. Groanings that you can't even express in words. If you are a child of Almighty God, you are being spoken for Right here, right now. I should say, right now, up there. (laughs) In a very practical sense, how does the Spirit minister to our minds? We need to go right back to, and I love this, in a very practical sense. How is the Spirit going to minister to your mind today? Pastor Matt so beautifully articulated this two weeks ago. If you want the Spirit to minister to your needs today, open your Bible. It is the sword of the Spirit. You cannot expect that the Holy Spirit of God is going to bring the comfort you need as a child of God if you are not in the Word of God. So what? Let's wrap this up. I think we need to ask this question. Through your pain and weaknesses, my friend, are you clinging to the hope that you have in Christ? You. Started off this discussion a little bit ago. I I don't know exactly what you're going through. I know there's a lot of burdens here. Are you clinging to the hope that you have in Christ? And then I must say this, my friend, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you do not. I need to be very clear on this. You, You cannot have this hope. The hope that's exposed here in Romans 8 is built on the explanation of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in the prior seven chapters. If you want this hope, you need Jesus. My friend, would you come to Jesus Christ today? I know there's some in this room, you've gone through struggles, addictions, temptations, depressions, all of the above and you're looking for some kind of hope, and you're wanting, you're intrigued by this Jesus. My friend, the Scripture is very clear. Admit that you're a sinner in need of salvation and rescue. Believe on Jesus Christ, that He is the only one that can rescue, and then call on Him to save your soul. My friend, would you come to Jesus today? Participate in this hope that is reserved for believers. For my brother and sister in Christ, are you this week, or will you this week cling to glorification's hope? Through the inward groanings you have at home, and then it transfers to work, or to school, or to the sports field, that pain that seems to grip you, that stomach that won't let you go, creating ulcers. 
Oh, will you cling to this hope of future glorification? Through your inward groanings with your physical body that just won't stop hurting, through your inward groanings because of temptations, will you find present hope and the promise of future glorification? I will close out today with a reread of verse 18 and let us take this the rest of our week. Would you look with me at verse 18 and let this soak in? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so God, we thank you for that hope. Oh God, for whatever reason you have left us here now, and we know in the scripture that that reason is to bring you honor and glory with our every thought, action, and word. So give us grace, we pray. You have us here for such a time as this. So I pray, God, that you would give us grace. My friend here today, it is no accident that you are here. God has drawn you to corporate worship today. You've been obedient to the scriptures that calls you to this accountability and study. You are here, you are here today to hear of glorification's hope. Now as you walk out these doors, will you apply this to your life? There's some may be here today that are overwhelmed with your need for Jesus Christ and saving faith. My friend, please do not walk out these doors without first coming to the place of calling on Jesus Christ in repentant faith. There will be chaplains at the front who would love to talk to you more, pray with you more about what a relationship with Jesus Christ means, with God through Jesus Christ means. The elders that will be around here, or even just your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, would love to talk with you more about this. Don't delay. So God, we thank you for the time we could spend today in your word. Thank you for the listening ears. Thank you for the appropriate text, and I pray, God, that you please give us grace as we go our way to live for you. Oh, God, I thank you for this last song we can sing. Let it come from hearts of gratitude, and let us go our way today encouraged with the fact that we can embrace glorification's hope in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Would you stand together as we close out an anthem of praise to Almighty God? Some of you came to worship God through sharing of your resources. Those will be, uh, there's boxes in the back you can uh, use for that or online. We're not going to pass around any offering place today. We're going to close with an anthem. I hope you know this song, Living Hope. Uh, if you don't know it, meditate on the words on the screen. As we go our way this week, let us hold to this living hope.